0: You're listening to a download from the Number 432
1: Hello and welcome back once again to the Outdoor Station. And thanks for bearing with me, as I didn't produce anything last week, due, as I mentioned, to my daughter getting married. And yes, so that's it now. The daughters have left the building – which means this balances out the 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 man-being-in-the-wrong-all-the-time scale to just Rose and I, so I'm only slightly wrong some of the time. I think married people will understand that one. With the big event out of the way, that now leaves us to get on with all our projects, which are many. Uh, building the new storeroom and studio for backpacking light and the new outdoor station studio, working out how to use this ride-on mower I've inherited with this house, So I can cut the grass, and then I can pitch the tents, and start a whole pile of product and how-to videos. Plus, I want to get on with my next 120 mile. I'm going to do it lightweight this time, coast to coast, across Devon, uh, along the Two Moors Way. The one that I had to delay last September because we were buying the house, etc. Uh, followed by us both heading up to do the Sky Trail. I'd like to do that with Rose. Uh, Plus, we have to attend various shows, either as a trader or a visitor, and possibly towards mid-summer or something, end of summer, hopefully finishing off the Pennine Way with the dog. As a result of all this, plus the usual domestic stuff one has to deal with, uh, this means that these podcasts may be a little more sporadic over coming months. So therefore, please make sure you plug into our many social media connections, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and of course our newsletter list, so I can keep you up to date with everything that's happening and send you photographs and links to videos and that sort of stuff all of which, of course, can be found on the outdoorsstation.co.uk website. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love some feedback, either on the podcasts or perhaps a, a direct email uh, to know if we're hitting the spot, how you're feeling about the stuff that we're doing, and if you're enjoying the information that we're putting out. OK, now, many of you have asked in recent weeks, whatever happened to, whatever happened to Mr Andy Howe? He of the famous Must Be This Way blog. Well, I can confirm he is alive and kicking, and in fact, will be setting off shortly on his 10th. TGO Challenge Crossing this May now for those of you who don't know what the TGOC is as we refer to it it is a 200 mile walk west to east coast of Scotland undertaken uh, usually in the same uh, time during the year by about 300 people uh, mainly to promote and support fellowship amongst backpackers it's sponsored by TGO magazine and various other sponsors and basically it's very unique it certainly isn't a race it is a gentle amble across the glories of Scotland either high, low or a bit of both Now, he and I met in 2004 on our first crossing and have been great advocates for the event ever since. So I thought it was a good opportunity to catch up with him and see what differences ten crossings make and what advice, what words of wisdom he might have for any first-timers who will be setting out from the west coast of Scotland this coming May.
0: Well, I suppose... um just remembering back to my first challenge, um, I didn't really know what to expect. And I remember starting off in the Noidart on a lovely sunny day. I was feeling very fit, wanted to walk. I got off the ferry. Everybody else went into the pub, which I thought was a bit odd, and I just struck off into the hills. And within about two or three days, I was a day ahead of schedule. Um, and so I didn't meet anybody else for the best part of a week. Um, And if you'd have told me halfway through there that I would have done it again, I wouldn't have believed you. It was only when I took a rest day um, that I caught up with everybody else or they caught up with me. And I I realized that although this is a challenge, it's an outdoor challenge, it's also an event about uh, camaraderie. It's a social event. And if you want to get the most out of it, you know, you need to plan something that has a bit of everything a bit of isolation a bit of adventure uh but give yourself time to enjoy not only the landscape and the country but the other people that you'll meet along the way and who you will be walking with i had a
1: very similar start and when i did my first as well it was glorious weather i seem to remember and again i started at Neudart. it was absolutely beautiful and so much so that I cracked on and did the first two days in one, uh, enjoying the, the weather, the surroundings, uh, and uh, everything else that was going along with it, and left people behind straight away. Very, very similar to yourself. However, the the following day, I remember walking down the side, I think it was Loch Beered, Uh, and I started off the day with terrible blisters because I had... Well, first, I was carrying too much stuff. Secondly, I'd overheated. My feet were in a mess, and by the time I did the end, I think it's a nine-mile walk on the road for no other reason than naivety, um, my feet were uh, in a mess, and I spent the rest of the challenge in pain, Uh, but like yourself, ahead of the wave until I was forced to stop due to the injury that I'd created for myself and uh, everybody else caught up with me, and I suddenly got the idea of what it was all about.
0: I think I think there is a terrible temptation to want to get across as fast as you can, um, that it's a bit of an ordeal, uh, and that you must really push yourself to the limit. And I remember walking into Fort Augustus in the campsite on my first challenge, and seeing this big guy at the end of the campsite who was cooking over a barbecue, and I thought, you're not on the challenge. But actually, he was one of the challenge fetters. And he just said to me, look, remember, you're on your holidays. And that's right. You're there to enjoy it. You're there to take in the landscape, to really understand the land that you're walking through. So, yeah, don't push through too fast. Give yourself time to um, appreciate all of it. You know, the social side, Uh, the landscape the walking there will be days when you walk uh, through the pain barrier there'll be days when you wake up the next morning feeling as stiff as ever there'll be wonderful nights camping wild in the open you know i think the great thing about scotland and the great thing about the challenge really is variety Uh, and so just be attuned to that make sure you are ready to soak in the lovely you know range of things and experiences that you'll get on this walk well, certainly, Rose
1: says every time she does it, you know, it is such a privilege to walk across a landscape and see the landscape change beneath your feet, the flora
0: and the fauna, as much as the the drama and the, and the views. Yeah, it was Rose that put uh, my thoughts into words with similar sentiments. Um, you know, if you go walking in many parts of the world, in really big mountain ranges, for example, you know, you'll see a change over a week or so. Um, but very often, for day after day, you're walking through very similar uh, landscape. One of the beautiful things about Scotland um, is that the landscape changes every couple of days and it changes very markably. And you do feel you're walking from one landscape system, indeed, often one weather system, into another one. Um, but that variety is something very special. So Scotland is very much the star of the challenge itself. and. I did the challenge, really, because I realised I hadn't done enough walking in Scotland and I wanted to get to know it a bit and see how it worked across the different regions. And uh, I think if you approach it in that vein, um, it will really reward you as a trip. And and it does feel like a privilege to walk through this beautiful, wonderful, ever-changing landscape.
1: Certainly the advice I pass on to other people, if if they ever ask, as regards trying not to push yourself too hard is if you can i mean it's all down to obviously how you're feeling and weather conditions but if you can if you can start around seven o'clock or slightly earlier you get the best morning you could possibly get and it allows you to finish you know, sort of three o'clock four o'clock and you really can enjoy the camping because the camping actually is a a very very unique experience there and what well, halfway through, just over halfway through, it changes dramatically and it becomes very edge of edge of town again, almost sort of from from Tarfside onwards. You, you're not that far away. You're no longer wild. You've missed it by Tarfside. If you haven't enjoyed the the camping by Tarfside or by Braemar or Ballater, then you know you, you you've missed possibly the best camping you will ever going to experience.
0: I, I think there's some very there's a couple of really important points there. I mean, on my first challenge. Um, I when I got to the end, I realised I hadn't enough enough wild camping, and so you know to to every now and then to go into a, a campsite where there are facilities and Scottish campsites by and large are superb, or maybe into a B and B or something. Maybe once, maybe twice during the trip is fine, but. um I think when you look back on the challenges, it is those wild camping experiences that are the ones that you treasure you most. The other thing that you said that I think that is very true is to take advantage of the day. You know, I mean, it's early, it's light, very early in Scotland, and it doesn't really get dark till maybe half nine, ten o'clock at night. So you have a long day to take advantage of. Now, when I'm walking on my own, it's a slightly different experience to when I'm walking with my partner Kate, uh, she's not quite as fast up in the morning as I am but I think you're right to to you know to start about seven maybe eight at the latest and to walk through and maybe to finish about three or four is absolutely perfect because that gives you time to uh, set up camp properly to get your evening meal sorted maybe to fill in a notebook or a diary journal if you're taking that and to soak in the evening and of course there are days when you can walk even longer and you can finish walking at eight, nine o'clock at night, and you're wrecked. But um, I think I think that's right. I think start early and aim to finish early afternoon, something like that. Uh, and particularly in wild camping environments, that allows you to just sit there in the evening and just take in this wonderful landscape and appreciate the wildlife as well. I think the the word challenge
1: can be misunderstood sometimes. I think people enter the event and think the challenge is very much like a long-distance race uh, where you you, you really push yourself, you push yourself all the time. Where in actual fact, I think uh, a lot of people realise within four or five days that the challenge isn't about the distance or the speed. The challenge is about facing up to dealing with either very, very similar weather and conditions or vastly differing weather and conditions, possibly even within the same hour, uh, and mentally still moving forward and still being positive and still uh, getting the distance without it being a, a race, without pushing yourself too hard.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, it is a challenge, no matter what level of fitness you have, Uh, And I've done the event when I've been very fit and I've done it with very little preparation as well. It's a challenge whether you basically stay uh, to the main drover roads or it's a challenge whether you go up high. Um, I I think what is important, though, is to just be aware of pushing it too far because when you're tired, that's when mistakes happen. Uh, That's when you fall. uh, That's when you make silly mistakes over navigation. And so to always have that time in hand to be able to make sure you get that navigation right, particularly when the landscape's a bit confusing or when the weather conditions are poor, um, and to make sure you don't push yourself, particularly when you're walking on your own, I think these important things. Now, if if you're listening to this and you're a very experienced mountain walker, those might sound a bit obvious, but remember a lot of people who do this event, um, this is the first time that they've done something of this magnitude before. Uh, and you do need to give yourself time and space um, to deal with the uh, the unexpected
1: absolutely absolutely and and I think it takes a while for people to lose the fear of their own responsibility to actually look at it more positively and, and gain every time they they something yeah. goes slightly wrong
0: they get experience well I mean a couple of years ago uh, this is, this is the kind of silly thing that does happen with over familiarity or complacency or Maybe just plain stupidity, I don't know. But, I mean, a few years ago, I turned up uh, at a wild camp spot on the Findorn. And uh, about an hour after me, pulled up uh, a young guy who I'd met a couple of years before in exactly the same position. And we set off the next morning to do exactly the same stretch of walk we had done two or three years before. Uh, and we had to be a little bit careful about which uh valley we took up into the high hills um and we were chatting away gossiping catching up on news convinced we'd gone the right way didn't really you know check the maps as we should have done because i suppose each of us thought that the other one knew what they were doing um and we ended up you know we knew where we were we ended up taking the wrong path we ended up quite a long way further west than we should have done and uh, involving a lot of heather bashing, and a lot of, you know, it wasn't a very nice day. So, you know, even if you've been over that ground before, and even if you're, you know, reasonably comfortable at navigation, you know, if you don't give yourself the space and time to do it properly, you know, you can end up in all kinds of messes. The good news, of course, is that um, you are walking, and usually if you've got a sensible route, uh, and if you're a first time, and the vetters will made will have made sure you do, you can always, you know, catch up or make up time if you make mistakes. But if you push yourself too fast, that's when you get injured. Particularly when you're walking alone, uh, you need to be careful about that. And you, you know, it's when you make mistakes of navigation as well.
1: I think also coming back to route and people approaching it for for the first time that maybe haven't done such a long uh, distance in in one go. There's no uh, shame and there's no uh, disappointment if you decide to change your route or pull back from a, oh, no, a particular a particular climb if the weather is against you. You just don't feel confident enough to to do that. Um, I think that's something that needs to be reassured to people. There's there's no negativity. There's no criticism at all. In fact, people will probably praise you for being confident enough to no say make the decision. No, I've got
0: to head back because I just don't feel good hitting this climb in this weather. I think it is important to be very clear that you're not taking too many risks. Um, One of the things that gives Kate a bit more confidence when she's walking with me, I think, is that she knows I'm not going to do that, really. Um, And, uh, you know, just being able to improvise is important. I can remember one year, a few years ago, um, we ended up walking alongside a lock in the most atrocious weather We tried to pitch our tent behind a a wreck of a a wall of a a wrecked house. Didn't give us any protection at all. The next day we walked onto a river river crossing and there was just no way that we could have got over that. There was a mountain pass we could have taken, but Kate being a relatively small person, I couldn't get her over the hill. Uh, And so, you know, pretty dejected and feeling pretty miserable, cold and wet. We turned around and we walked back down to the little village of Kenlock Leven and booked into a hotel, and I, I thought, that's it, you know, i finished finished, uh, you know, there's no way I'm carrying on in this. Uh, and I really didn't care <laughs> whether we quit or not. But you sit there, you know, you dry your clothes a bit, you have a warm drink, you get the maps out, and you think, oh, actually, there is another way around there. You can phone the challenge control people who will always get their maps out and help you and say, well, look, if you could do this, you do that, you know, you'll maybe lose a day, or if you go this way, you'll be back on schedule. And I think that's right, you know, the ability to improvise is important. So because that route has gone in and even if you've got, um, you know, alternative routes planned for bad weather, you need to be sensible about it. And if you're not feeling well or the landscape's a little bit more challenging than you thought, then, you know, change it. But let them know what you're doing and also ask their advice as to the best alternatives that are there because that's what they're there to do in Challenge Control and by and large... Uh, They're very experienced walkers um, who know the Highlands like the back of their hands. The Outdoor Station is your one-stop shop
1: for audio and video entertainment for the self-powered traveller. You can find us online, on internet radio, on smartphones, on smart TVs, on YouTube, on Apple TV, on Now TV and on Facebook. You can also stream us live via the iTunes app or TuneIn radio app. The list is continually expanding, and for full details of how to subscribe, download or stream and enjoy our massive free library, please visit theoutdoorstation.co.uk. In this day and age of uh, social media and everybody posting positive images and positive pictures and glorious uh, sunsets, sunrises and magnificent waterfalls, I think it's important to let people know that all of us uh, that have done the challenge and many other walks, of course, but in particular the challenge, have all had our bad days and bad moments and times we were going to pack it in. Uh, In my particular case, I remember one particular day uh, walking and it was just knee deep um, mud and peat, which which was horrible enough. But uh, that combined with the sleet and snow and the horizontal wind um, brought my body temperature down. And then I found I had to cross a river to get to a body and I could feel myself as I went across this river, got deeper and deeper and deeper and above my thighs. Um and i couldn 't get my i'd put my, i think I had sandals or something I put sandals on on one side i couldn 't control my hands to put my boots on on the other side i couldn 't dry off i was I was freezing cold and so despondent and it was hypothermia that was that was going through me, and I could see the body. But it was one of those paths that if you took a direct route to the body, I would have just gone through more, more peat, more mud. So I had to walk an extra half mile round the track to get to the body. And I was beyond low at that particular point. I remember it really, really distinctively. I think it was my first or my second crossing. Anyway, I'd sort of uh, got, a, got the stove going and, and, I don't know what, I had some tomato soup or something and some bit of food. And within half an hour, an hour, um, i dried off, got my wet stuff off, just stood there half naked, had some warm food inside me, dried myself down. And the mental change that I went through was just phenomenal. I came out of there going, right, I don't care if it's still raining, I'm going to get to wherever I was aiming for. I would like to reassure people who are, are doing it for the first time that might happen to you, and don't mm. don't worry about it. Just deal with a moment, sort yourself out. Take a time, take five, ten minutes to rest. Get yourself, gather your thoughts. Get some warm food inside you. You will change. It will change everything.
0: I think I think that's a- absolutely right. And and you know I I finish each challenge, and I take a lot of photographs. Uh, and uh, sometimes if I'm writing up a challenge journal. A few months later, I'll be looking at the photographs, and I think, oh, there weren't many photographs taken that day. Well, that's probably because the weather was terrible, and I didn't want to stop, and I didn't want to take photographs. So seeing all these lovely photographs of uh, lovely blue skies and uh, the Scottish mountains is lovely, but it isn't always like that. You're right. It, it's quite, it's quite, um, it can be quite horrific. Uh, the, uh, it's important to take breaks when you're walking, uh, no matter how fit you are, no matter how young you are. Uh, if you're walking all day, you know, make sure you take a break. I mean, I, I can think of one or two really horrible days where I was walking in a very exposed landscape with terrible wind where I didn't want to stop. Um, and, you know, and, and trust your body. Stop when you're feeling tired. If you're a mile or two short of your destination, that doesn't matter. You can make that up the next morning when you've had a good night's sleep and you've had a good feed, you know, but... um you can always find somewhere to camp in Scotland. It's not. It's never very difficult. So, you know, listen to your body and trust it, and stop when you when it's telling you to stop. Um, but as you say, we've all had days where, you know, that river crossing has been very difficult, or you find yourself up to your thighs in a bog or something like that. Um, you know, and it's pretty dispiriting. And the other thing I think that people underestimate is. When you're going cross country and you're off those paths and you're heather bashing or, or, or you know, um, battling through bracken or something, I mean, it does take it out of you. I mean, you use a lot of energy going across uh, wild, open ground. And sometimes we don't appreciate that when we're planning. So again, you know, give yourself the space, use most of the day. And if you need to stop, then stop because you can make up the difference in the morning.
1: I think the wild open ground comment also would link to your final camping spot as well. I think we've all fallen foul of looking at the map, uh, looking, well, now we have Google Earth, I suppose, but looking at Google Earth, looking at the map, they're saying, OK, that looks like a beautiful spot, right by a stream there, that looks fantastic, it'll be wonderful, we'll, we'll camp there the night. And you build this up in your mind as that's going to be a place, it's going to be five-star luxury camping. And you get there, and as you say, it's two foot of heather, and it's stony ground Uh And surprisingly, as beautiful as Scotland is, and as varied as Scotland is, the sort of key places when you're actually planning your route sometimes don't turn out anything like that when you get
0: there. No, that's absolutely right. But even worse than that, the same spot can change. Absolutely, yeah. I did, um, on my first challenge, I had a glorious night's camping just outside of uh, Glendessery. um, um, And... uh, It was fantastic, and Kate and I were back in that area about seven or eight years later, headed for the same point, and I said, oh, this is a fantastic camping spot. When we got there, it was absolutely horrible. Now, whether or not they'd stopped grazing animals on it or something, I don't know, but, you know, sometimes even the same spot that you've been in before is not quite uh, the same as it was. So um, the ability to improvise and make the right kind of decisions uh, and to change your... If not your route to change your sleeping spot or whatever are are very very important and again it's just worth reiterating the more tired you get, the more difficult it gets to do that properly. I can remember uh, one year walking with Kate and we got to Glenfeshie. and uh, the previous time i'd been down this Glen, I crossed a bridge which had been uh uh washed away and of course I hadn't been reading my challenge guidance notes properly and I hadn't clocked, the bridge wasn't there anymore Um, so we had to walk upstream uh, to, to get another bridge and come down, it had been a very very long day and I got it into my head that perhaps we could ford the river at a certain point so I sat down walked into the river and immediately just went straight in stood up swearing ahead and looked back at the bank I'd just come from and there was the most beautiful grassy um, platform. It was the ideal campsite, but in my exhaustion and determination to get to the Bothy, I'd stamp right across it, gone straight into the water, almost drowned myself and then suddenly realised there it was, you know. So, yeah, you are right, you know. Tiredness, <laughs> flexibility, all these things are pretty important. I think it might be interesting just to reflect slightly
1: on... On the changes now, I did my first in 2004, I think yours was 2005, and at the time uh, there was no real diaries or recollections that anybody had posted online because it it wasn't... Blogs were only yeah. just sort of coming into, into their own at that stage. And, in fact, when I think about it, I was still using a film camera, so you didn't have instant pictures, and obviously smartphones hadn't yet uh, been invented as such. So how different it is now compared to then? I'm thinking about the podcasts. I've done, I think there's 54 podcasts now, all associated just purely with the TGO Challenge as a library. But, of course, at the time, I don't recall thinking I had access to any library material.
0: Well, I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a lot easier to plan now. I mean, if I'm uh, looking to, to walk in an area I haven't walked in before, whether I on the Challenge or off it... I'll often go back and consult other people's challenge diaries, which give you a clue as to the rude uh, ways they went over obstacles. And remember, they will have had uh, advice from vetters and other walkers in doing that. Um, so, I mean, that's great. Although, of course, the landscape doesn't always quite look like that when you uh, are there yourself. So, But planning the event has has become... Uh, I think uh, a a lot easier. It's less of a detective story than than it was in the early days, I think, for me, certainly if you're looking, what, we're both talking 11 or 12 years ago now. So, um, yeah, it it makes a difference. But remember, you have to walk your walk, you know, and it's okay saying, well, so-and-so and -and 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 so-and-so did it and they did from here to here in eight hours uh, and I haven't got anywhere near that. Well, of course, the weather conditions might be different, you know, the ground might be completely soggy as opposed to being dry. They might be a bit fitter than you or they might just be a faster walker than you. So these things are general guides and, you, you, you know, to help you. But walking at your pace and your ability is the key thing.
1: I think the other thing that has been very noticeable over the last 10, 12 years has been the change in the general hospitality and the hospitality facilities that have been available uh, through the different little villages and groups of houses that the route may take you through. I'm thinking of Dalwini as one, um, how the Dalwini Hotel, sort of open, closed, opened, and then it's changed again. I think people use a bunkhouse there now. Um, there are various post offices and shops which have long gone. And certainly the facilities that one might assume might be there because there's a cluster of uh, properties doesn't necessarily mean there will be services.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And actually, uh, anybody listening to this who is about to set out on their first or second challenge um, should be very aware of that. I mean, I remember a few years ago um, planning to start my walk from Arcaucol, I think, and I checked on the, the bus timetables, and I was going to get a bus from Fort William um, that took me to a Akakal. And uh, for some reason, a couple of days before setting off, I just decided to check it again, and that bus had re- disappeared from the timetable. So I, you know, I rang up the bus company. Uh, unfortunately, the bus company was also a taxi company, and they said, "Look, you know, carry on to Lakaiat. We'll pick you up in a taxi, and, and we'll take you there." And uh, so I got off the train at La thinking, actually, what happens if no one's here to meet me? But, you know, the bus had literally changed. It had been there two months before on the timetable, and then it had gone. Yeah, I, I would always do a little double check in terms of your hotel accommodation and all the rest of it that you planned. As well as that, do your research in terms of shops and things, but just be aware that, you know, some of these community websites are not updated that much. And so that nice little community shop that seems to be just in the right place you know check it's still there and the best place to do that is on the challenge notice board you know um does this place still exist because there are enough people who are in the highlands a lot or lo- relative local who who will tell you but you're, you're quite right every year i think the number of facilities close i mean it happens the other way as well but so for example dalwini which first time i went through it was for me, like the end of the world, I think, you know, it was not a place I wanted to be in. Um, but now um, uh, a guy's retired and opened a, a really fantastic hostel there, does wonderful food, and suddenly the place has become, you know, a much more practical and pleasant stopping place. Um, but, you know, he won't be around forever, so I think you do need to check these things out, but you're quite right. You look at the map and you look at the size of a village and you think there'll be something there, you can't count on that in the highlands the uh, sparsity of population uh, and the economy i mean it's a hard life up there is making it very difficult for all kinds of businesses to sustain themselves
1: what would your advice and and tips be and comments uh, for that matter relating to the actual cost of the uh, the event and how that's possibly changed but also for somebody that's going and thinking they've they can survive
0: with the credit card do you think that's possible these days Oh, I think this is this is actually one of the most common um, questions I get asked um, uh, by people thinking of doing the challenge. It should be possible to do it on a reasonably low budget if you prepare your food in advance, you do food drops and, and all that kind of stuff. But actually, it is a major expense, isn't it? You know, uh, I mean, you know, it costs a fair few hundred quid to do the challenge by the time you've... Uh, you know, had a few nice meals out by the time you've paid for that B&B in just the right place, Um, you know, even even campsites, uh, the ferry crossing, uh, if you're taking Gordon's Ferry across uh, from Drummond's Rocket to the other side of Loch Ness. Uh, And then, of course, there's the meeting in um, uh, Montrose at the end, which uh, I think you've got to be very uh, strong-willed to avoid spending money at, uh, if it's not just sitting in the bar. So, you know, it. it, it I, I, it's very, very difficult to say to people this is the budget you should um, plan for because um, you've got to be very disciplined to cut the cost down. Now, I know there are people who do that. The people that keep the cost down, they're very frugal when they're in villages or towns. They don't get involved in uh, big rounds of drinking. They perhaps don't do uh, the the... the the cafes and restaurants, they maybe go to the chip shop as a special thing. It is, it is a difficult one. I'm not sure how much you would budget for it, I guess, but I think even walking on my own, it would be difficult not to carry less than 200 quid with me.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely the case. I think it would be worth advising people that they will meet all kinds of backpackers uh, on yeah. this particular event. You know, they will meet... The ones who do enjoy the social aspect and enjoy drinking, you know,
0: considerably more than the average oh, yeah. person. Some, some some people's budget must be astonishing. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, I mean, they every time they hit town, they're straight into the bar and they're there all night and all the rest of it. Um, it, it doesn't have to cost you a fortune, um, but those campsites I talked about earlier that that really are of a very high standard. You know by the t- if you you go into there by the time you paid your campsite fee and other bits and pieces, you know you'd be probably spending the best part of twenty quid or so somewhere. Um, so, again, that's another reason, actually, to maximise the wild camping, I think. Well, definitely, um, I was thinking... Because extra... you, can't, you can't spend anything in the middle of nowhere. No, no, true. Uh, and
1: certainly campsites, I, I I can't agree with you more. They are very, very well serviced and, and, and pretty well, 99% of the time, beautifully maintained. But the cost of camping, I think my first crossing was £4, £5 a night. And it's now more like
0: 15 or 20 isn't it? I think so. I think so. And... Um, you know, last year um, Kate and I got married just before we walked across the challenge, and we we had a we kind of ambled over. And actually, I I got a really grotty chest infection, so I, you know, we we did a lot more amble a lot more walking through villages and towns than we would normally do. And of course, you you know you go and stop somewhere for breakfast or lunch or something, and it and it can add up. So you know, you you. you you can reduce the cost, but you need to be disciplined and focused about it, and you need to stick to it and I would also say to other challenges you know if you 're walking with somebody who's who's doing it on a shoestring, it does become clear respect that you know don 't push them don't draw, don't don't pull them into things that they're uncomfortable doing because uh, you know um, pe- uh, you know great thing about the challenges is we all look more or less the same in our walking gear, but the range of incomes and the range of uh, um, you know, people of different backgrounds there is astonishing. So, you know, just be a bit respectful for those who are trying to do it on a shoestring. When you sign
1: up for the Outdoor Station newsletter, you have the option to give us feedback on our shows. You also have the opportunity to suggest people of interest you would like to hear more about. You can also suggest UK campsites which you feel may be unique and cottage manufacturers who would appreciate a little exposure to a wider audience. The Outdoors Station. Sharing the passion, appreciation and understanding for the outdoors world. OK, so, so finally from your point of view then, here you are 10 years or 10 crossings on, on your 10th, into legend status, I believe, is the technical term. Uh, are you looking forward to it? How are you
0: approaching it differently? Uh, yeah, I am. And, and it's worth talking a bit about that, I think, because e- each year is different. Uh, last year, I didn't enjoy it at all. And um, it was mainly because uh, I'd had, throughout the 12 months before, some real problems with my Achilles. Uh, and then as that cleared up, I developed this really horrible chest infection, so much so that I wasn't really sure I should be starting, and I wasn't completely confident I'd finish it. Um, and you know, I I changed the route over the first few days to avoid some of the higher mountains, did a little bit more road walking than I would want. But the reality was, it's not it's not an event that will stay in my mind next year. So this year, I am looking forward to it. You know, I'm, I'm we both of us have had some uh family difficulties deal with this year so we've not been on the hills as much as we can so we'll take it more gentle when we walk uh but i'm injury free so far and there's kind of a custom i think for a lot of people on their 10th event to plan a route that takes in the best bits so by and large we're going across well i'm going across ground i've been on before um uh you know so i there's not a great deal of self-discovery on this one i know what i'm going to be looking forward to uh, and i know where the difficulties are but you know so i am looking forward to this one not least because last year's wasn't a particularly brilliant experience for me
1: well fingers crossed everything will be good and the the weather will hold for you i'm sure there's one other question that people would be curious to know and i'd be interested to, to hear your thoughts on this actually uh, here you are 10 crossings on what are the big changes in equipment in gear that you've learned and are putting into into practice for this particular crossing
0: uh, um well i when i planned my first challenge i was planning it with weight in mind in terms of the weight of the kit that i was taking on board um But I think my base weight is is significantly lower than it was then. It's probably now about, starts off without food somewhere around five or six kilograms, um, which is probably three or four kilograms lighter than than ten years ago. Um, I I think kids got more expensive, which I think is a bit of a problem. Um, And uh, that's something people need to watch for as well. Um, there is a trade-off between the absolute, you know, the, the lightest shelter you can buy and something that's reasonable and sensible. Um, I think I think it's getting more expensive and I, I get a feeling that's a bit of an issue. Um, when you're doing the event for the first time, a lot of people will find if they do it regularly, they'll be building up their kit list over two or three years and then it stays more or less stable. Uh, and if something works for you, stick with it. You know, you don't have to buy the latest uh, and best and best thing. Um, for me, I think walking in trail shoes as opposed to boots has probably been the biggest uh, a plus. It's counterintuitive to a lot of people. You know, they don't like the idea of getting their feet wet, but as we've said many times before, the great things about poor shoes is if the water gets in, the water can get out again. Uh, and you cut down the risk of um, blisters. And there's something to be said about these more lightweight shoes, where you can feel the, the ground underneath with your with your toes as you walk. Certainly feel more secure uh, on. Uh, I do on uh, uh, mountain climbs and particularly mountain descents. So uh, you know, gear gear has got lighter, uh, more technical. Uh, but it is expensive. So, you know, I could sit here and say to you, you, know, you look at a specialist down-producing company, like PhD, for example, that produce phenomenal goods that, that produce wonderful warmth at virtually, you know, negligible weight, um, but at a cost. Uh, and uh, a lot of people just won't be able to, to go there in their first year or second year of long-distance backpacking. So... Um, yeah, the other thing as well, I think I think there's a tendency to feel you have to have the latest thing. You know, people are always inventing little gadgets. Oh, I know somebody not a million miles from here who sells a lot of these things. And, uh, you know, there's always there's always something that's really good for sticking a camera on top of your walking pole or, you know, a spider thing to stick a camera to a fence post or whatever it is. You know, and these things all mount up. It's surprising how... All these little gadgets add to, to to the weight. So, you know, try and keep the weight down. But again, it's not a competition. Be sensible about it. And, uh, you know, uh, j- just do shop around. Have a really good look now because the price of some of this online stuff has got much more expensive over the last few years. And with the, the you know, the the kind of the collapse in the pound over the last year or so, um, we know, don't we, that... Um, Gear prices in the next year are going to be a lot more expensive than they are now. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, very true. Yeah, everything's going up between twenty and forty percent, basically. So, uh, as you say, the good stuff is good, uh, but it, uh, it has a good price tag attached to it as well. So, it's um, it's unfortunate, but if you aspire to the best of the absolute best, then unfortunately, you have to pay for it. However, having said that, I do think there are a lot of very affordable brands offering um yes you know gear which is sort of 80 or 90 percent of the way there if you're if you're particularly concerned about
0: weight or or whatever for very good um, i think i money. think you know uh, there's a lot there's a lot said about lightweight backpacking and you and i are probably to blame for a lot of it so it's probably it's probably worth just putting in context i i think if you're weighing your pack so you're weighing your fully loaded pack forget food for a moment if you're weighing your pack Once the weight of all your gear and your pack starts to drop below ten kilograms, you can tell it makes a big difference. Obviously, if you can get it to five, then it makes a big difference again. But really, around that ten-kilogram mark, eight to ten kilograms, I think is is what people should aim for. Now, you should be able to do that with a range of sensible, reasonably affordable equipment. Um, You know, once it starts creeping above ten kilograms. You can tell can't you you feel that difference in in in, in your feet so um, you know by all means you, you know get the base weight down uh, but 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 don't don't panic about it you don't have to have the latest shelter I mean my shelter if you see and Kate calls it a handkerchief you know it's made of Cuban fiber uh, artisan made by Colin Ibbotson you know a wonderful piece of design you uh, not the cheapest piece of kit you will ever use. Um, but you, know, you don't need that to really enjoy wild camping and to, and to give yourself a reasonable light load to, to cross Scotland with.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point, actually. I'll re- reiterate that. I think if uh, when we, people talk about base weight, what they're referring to is their pack less food, fuel and water. Uh, and Andy's absolutely right. I can get mine to be about 8K now. Uh, and that's obviously with all the toys I take as well, if I take video yeah. cameras. And and, and you and, do
0: take a lot of toys. Yeah, I think we should make it clear to to a lot of listeners that those are probably legitimate toys. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, the other thing I would say about that as well is also think about the weight of food. Now, a couple of years ago, when I was going to walk across on my own, but mainly with uh, uh, Humphrey Waitman, those who haven't met Humphrey yet will do so. It's a pleasure awaiting them. Um, And we had a a very uh, secluded route in mind, which meant that we wouldn't have really hit civilization for quite a long time. So I think I carried 10 days worth of food. Uh, And with my gear, it was just, I just didn't enjoy that at all. So you know the food adds up. So if you're carrying, I would say carrying between three days of food, four days of food, maximum is comfortable. Um, and if you're using dehydrated food, that's fine. Um, you know, you every three or four days you can find a, a somewhere to buy some fresh food, cheese rolls ham that kind of stuff it will you know it's not going to go off in the in your pack in that time but don't carry too much food with you too many days food i mean obviously make sure you've got enough food to get through your itinerary and you've got maybe a day spare but um it's surprising isn't it how heavy food is
1: Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking, as you were saying that, it's also interesting when everybody gets to the hostel at Tarfside and sits around the table. Uh, I think, without exception, most people unload the spare yeah, meals yeah. that they had. There's this mountain of food in the middle of the table of, yeah, of, of tends, the meals tend, that people
0: haven't had. Yeah, it gets thrown away at campsites yeah. from, uh, from Braymo onwards, doesn't it? I mean, one of uh, one of the things that I do... I mean, you know, no, everybody has their own different way of doing it, and there's no right or wrong. I prepare my own dehydrated food, as I know you do, but, you know, you can buy it commercially. I will send uh, parcels or packages to uh, campsites every three, four days or so. Um, so that stuff is there when I when I um, arrive. And uh, touch wood, I've never had a parcel not arrive yet, though I know some people have. Um... You know, and so uh, I try and plan it to keep it low, but then on the other side, I do think it's quite important to use local services where you can. You know, so I will always try and buy something in the local shops, you know, whether it's cheese or bread or whatever, Mm -hmm. where I can because, you know, we rely on these places and I think it is important to put, you know, a bit of investment back in um, so you can... You could go across the whole of two weeks without buying anything in a local shop. I just think that's uh, really against the spirit of the event. I think.
1: I think yes, it's worth remembering that if you still want those uh, facilities and services in the community to be there, it's, it's worth reinvesting in them. Uh, the green pound is a is a very valuable pound in these communities. Yes,
0: and I and I suppose you know if you're looking at the roots, really understanding where the services are, so. Uh, village like Fort Augustus which is a very common place to cross the Great Glen uh, for first timers um, you know it's got basic services but there were there, there were two food stores there, there's now only one I think last year you know so um, Abbey Moor is a significant town with everything you'd want in terms of gear and uh, Tesco's and whatever uh, a place like Dalwini looks quite big on the map but it's like a it's like the end of the world really if you go in there on a bad day um, so you know d- ma- make sure you know what services are available in those places that you're going into because um, y- y- you know you sh- in most of the places like Newtonmore or Abbeymore, these kind of towns that you that people walk through you'll, you'll be able to get access to most stuff there'll be a little supermarket or a little co-op or something but um, just check it out because not all of them do
1: well, lovely Andy, nice to uh, to touch base with you and and discuss the uh, the various changes and and uh, looking forward to hearing your comments and, and diary when you do this particular crossing. I hope the weather's good for you and everybody else, of course.
0: When you get back, do, uh, do let's have another chat and you can fill me in. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Barbara. We haven't I haven't seen you for ages and ages, and we need to get back out onto those hills again. Um, but then the final thing I'll say is to people listening to, we we do know, don't we, that people do listen to the podcasts that we made years ago, even now. Uh, I find it quite strange to meet people who said, oh, I've been listening to you for the last two days, <laughs> describing the book have got. So I will just say, you know, if you see us along the way, introduce yourself, say hello, uh, come and have a chat. Let's get to know you. And uh, um, because that, the what I think the thing that probably is the most underappreciated part of the challenge experience is the comradeship and the friendship. And that, that you know, we both of us have been made friendships that will be life lasting through this event. And, uh, you know, so don't, don't be frightened. Um, you know, come up and say hello.
1: Well, the best of luck to Andy and to all the other challengers setting off in May 2017 on their crossing. You can check out the 50-plus podcasts I referred to over on the Outdoor Station website. And, in fact, they've got their own feed as well. So you can download them in their entirety, if you wish, on iTunes or your other podcast software reader. And as Andy says, many people do download them, listen to them as they're walking across themselves and then say hi. It's a bizarre situation. Anyway, Andy has written loads of useful information on his blog, Must Be This Way, about the people, places, food and preparation, all associated with the TGO Challenge. So do check that out if you want more information. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've got shed loads of stuff going on. And there's an awful lot of pressure when releasing and producing a podcast for every Friday. As much as I love to do it, I need to take the pressure off myself so I can get other projects done. So I'm going to release podcasts as and when I can, along with the videos. So until next time, the next podcast, the next video or the next show we visit, I'll see you then. Bye for now. About the Great Outdoors. Broadcasting around the world. Online, on demand. And always free. I think it's a splendid idea.
0: This is, this is the, the Outdoor, outdoor station. station.
1: I would just like to say...